Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, it's good to be with you, Venture. And uh, as we move into this message, I wanted to take just a few minutes before the start of the message and just update you and address some questions I've been receiving specifically about when we're going to open again. And currently, we're still in a shelter-in-place order, but I know a number of churches in the state of California are choosing to open up on the weekend of May 30th and 31st. A number of you have asked about it. And we talked about it as an elder board. We've been praying and thinking through it. And we've come to the united decision that we're not going to open up at that time. Let me give you the reasons why. I know that others may disagree, and we're not making that as a statement about any other church. We're just declaring what we believe God's leading us to do. First and foremost, we're still concerned about the safety here. There's a lot we don't know about worshiping in a contained space like this. Now, fortunately, there's others that are out there, other parts of the country where they are. We're talking to them. We're learning from them. We are very hopeful that when the day comes that we can worship together, we can do so in a very safe environment. But secondly, the reason we're not opening is we feel that we are called in Romans 13 to honor our governing authorities. Romans 13 says that they have an authority over us, and we're to respect that, be subject to it. Now, again, I know that there are some who say that the government has no right to limit our worship in any way. And we've really prayed through that. But here's what we believe. They are not limiting the function of our worship. No one's come forward and said that you can't worship, you can't teach. But they are limiting our forms right now. They're saying you can't gather in this place. And and frankly, we believe they're doing this in good favor, in good conscience, because they're applying it evenly across the board. Now, maybe that day comes where we will have to stand up. We certainly would if we feel like God's calling us to. But right now, we're working with our county commissioners. In fact, as a group of pastors, uh, those of us with Westgate and Menlo and Uh, Gateway and other churches, we're we're working hard to develop some protocols that we've presented to the county commissioners with hopes that they'll be adopted and we'll see some opening in the next few months in that. And they'll probably come in some different phases, but we want to be a part of the solution with them. You know, a third reason we've chosen not to open yet is because of our witness to our community as well. We recognize the concerns of our neighbors and friends, especially those outside of the church. And as much as it is well within our rights to declare that we have the right to worship together, we feel like during this time, sacrificing our rights for the sake of the gospel is the right thing to do. Now, we don't like doing that. We'd love to exert it. I, I more than anyone, want to be back here worshiping together. But you know, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I am willing to become all things to all men so that by all means I might reach some. He's willing to sacrifice in every way for the sake of the gospel. And we believe our testimony to our community right now is so important that we value them, we value their health, we value their concerns, that we're willing to sacrifice in a season for the sake of the gospel. 
Final part I would say, there's some practicalities which would severely limit our worship. Um, the numbers that are allowed in a room, they haven't been defined, but they're going to be pretty limited. We wouldn't be able to have children's ministry. There's a number of things we can't do. And we want to make sure that the experience here is better than what we can actually offer out there right now. And, and right now, that's not true. And so we've prayed about it. We've talked about it. We've made that decision together. And as I say that, here's what I would encourage you. Please be in prayer. Be in prayer for us. Be in prayer for our officials. Be in prayer for these next stages. I'm ready for the rollout. I'm ready to move forward in that. And so I'd ask that you'd pray. Pray in this next phase. We really believe the next phase will be, uh, we'll be allowed to have groups maybe gather in homes. Maybe it's 10 to 20 people. And so we're already working now to how do we get a strategy and teams together. We'll be recruiting those. Maybe you want to be a host home. That You say, yeah, I'd love to have a venture watch party in my house. And, and we would share a meal together. We'd watch the service together. And I could connect with some other families in the church or maybe families in my neighborhood. If that's of interest to you, we're going to start recruiting host homes for that so that we're prepared when that next phase comes. In fact, you might contact us. You can email us. Just let us know. Say, yes, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. In all of this, I, I would encourage you to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the church in California. Pray that we would be united. We may disagree, and it's okay to disagree. But our disagreement should not be the place of division. Guys, the church has survived the last 2,000 years in all different forms. In some places, it was house churches. Some places, it was parishes or small churches or medium churches or even mega churches. All different forms. The form is not the key. It's the function. It's what we've been called to do. And one of the key things that Jesus said is that you will know my disciples. You will know they are a part of my church, not by how they gather, but how they love. Specifically, how they love each other. And so I really want to challenge you and call you up. E even if you disagree, and we might disagree with decisions in this time. When there's so much confusion out there, you can't help in a body this large that we're going to come to some different opinions. It's okay to disagree. But I think if the enemy wants anything for the church to do right now, it's to divide. Let's not let him divide us. Let's double down on loving each other and loving our neighbors and praying that with wisdom as this opens up, we could worship in every form that God's called us to. Will you pray with me to that end? Let, let's just pray now. Father, we do pray for our church. We pray for California. I pray for churches here. I pray for those who are leading and, and making hard decisions. I pray for the churches that are opening up at the end of May. I, I pray, would you keep them safe? Would you just keep your hand on them? Lord, I pray for our church. We want to be a good witness. We want to balance wisdom with our testimony. And Lord, I, I just pray, would you show us how to do this well? Father, I pray for healing of our land. I pray for healing from this virus. I pray for a community that's been devastated. I pray for people that have lost their jobs. Lord, I pray that your church would be united in it and we would be known for our love. 
the way we love each other and the way we love the world. Lord, I thank you for venture. I thank you for the way you have united us. I thank you for the way people have graciously given and we've been able to bless others through it. Lord, I thank you how your gospel is going out. Even though we're not here together, we can open your word now and speak truth. And it goes out to people that we may have never seen before. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me today. Speak through this message that we would be a people that dream big dreams because we serve an awesome God. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, as we continue on in this series, Cocoon, I'll be honest with you. When I launched it, I thought it was going to be about a three, four-week series. And then I thought the shelter-in-place would open and we'd move forward. The shelter-in-place has continued. We're continuing in it, uh, all of it in the plans. I thought maybe I'll grow out a little beard over the next three to four weeks. I'm a little worried before this finishes, I'm going to look like a member of ZZ Top. But hopefully, hopefully, in the next few weeks, we'll see a respite. We'll start seeing some changes. But even if we don't, even during this time, what we want to do is make the most of it. Now, last week, I, I did kind of part one of this message where we looked at what does it mean to repair as a family? What do you have to repair some of the things? And, and if you didn't watch the message, I'd encourage you to go back and look at it. Because I think it's so important that in every home and every life, we're honest about maybe some of the things that are going on that need repair. And we looked at, we serve a God who loves to repair broken things. This week, I want to flip it. Instead of looking back at what's wrong, I want us to look forward. I want us to think about how we dream, how we plan, how we prepare, how we have vision for the future. And I think it is so important because the longer we're in this shelter in place, the longer this goes on, the one thing I feel from people is they're starting to lose vision and lose hope. And guys, I'm going to tell you, vision is critical to life. Vision is critical to a home. I love the way that Phil Grant puts it. He says, a vision is the dominant factor that governs your life. It determines all the choices you're making. It's what's left after all the layers are peeled away like an onion, clinging like glue to the inside of your rib cage. It's what your mind naturally gravitates toward when it's not legitimately concentrating on something else. It's what determines your friendships and your relationships that you're cultivating. It's what your prayers are about, what you dream about, and what you're giving money toward. Whether you realize it or not, for each person, we have a vision in life that actually is pulling us forward, but oftentimes we've never taken the time to actually define it. We don't know what's leading us. And, and so we let whatever comes over the media, we let whatever message comes, we let whatever's happening that day become our vision for life. And we kind of live this head down vision, just taking what comes. You know, if there was ever a time to just stop as a person, as a couple, as a family, while we can't do what we want to do, to stop and go, do we have clear vision? And values, and a plan of action for our home. Now, I know even as I say this, you go, Tim, I don't have energy for this. I'm tired of sheltering in place. And yet, isn't it ironic when life is normal, 
and you talk about vision, often I hear from people, oh, I'd love to do that. I just never have the time to do it. And now that we have the time, we go, oh, I don't know if I have the energy. Hear me. I, I've got, it's a pretty simple, straightforward message today. But I think it could be a fundamental one for your home and for you personally. How do we get the kind of vision that would draw us and propel us forward? What do I mean even when I say that? When I say vision, here, here's all I'm talking about. But sometimes we make it this real glorious word. It's just a picture of your ideal future. It's having a clear picture that you think about your future. You think about your family and your home and you go, man, what would I say is the ideal future for my family? And how do I establish that kind of vision? And, and when it's lacking, man, the impact of it is so devastating. If you look at the negative side of this, uh, this Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, the people perish. When people don't have a picture of the future, when they don't have revelation, when they don't know where they're going, you know what happens? They die. They die. That's not an immediate death, but it's this slow death that starts showing up. Look at how it shows up. When you have no vision, momentum slows down. Uh, you, you, you hit that point of inertia. This body in motion comes to a stop, and it's that much harder to get going again. And maybe you feel that right now. That sense of inertia as your home, as your so much of life has stopped with that. And it's easy in that moment to realize that vision has stopped. Second thing you see with that is order goes to disorder. With inertia comes entropy. The things weren't in order, a life that was in order, a structure that's in order. It just has a natural drift to disorder. Families have a natural drift to disorder. Even in a home, I think it's probably the thing that's driving Lee the craziest right now, is having all of us home all the time, all seven of us there and all the teenagers. She cleans the house, and what used to be clean, and it would at least stay clean during the day, she'll literally clean her room and come back an hour later, and she's like, what happened here? It's like order went to immediate disorder. Now, that, that's a simple image of it, but guys, it can happen in life as well. Here's the third thing, and this is the thing that kind of scares me the most that I see happening. Hopelessness leads to despair. People are losing hope. Families are losing hope. And, and when you lose hope, man, I'm telling you, despair is right around the corner. And, and we're already hearing the number of people that are struggling with despair and depression. The number of people, frankly, that are struggling with suicide. So when we talk about vision, I, I'm not just talking about, oh, this this nice, sweet thing that you ought to have. Guys, I'm telling you, I think it's critical to your life. I think it's critical to your home and your kids and your future. It's not just this optional thing. Because when there is no vision, when people can't see what's ahead, when there's no more hope and dream, man, despair is right there. That's why if you look in Scripture, it's interesting to me how God uses vision over and over again with his people. He gives these clear pictures and image. You look at the children of Israel. Through a number of hard years, 
Vision doesn't mean, oh, everything immediately becomes great, but it gives you a picture of where you're headed. It's in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, when they were wandering through the desert, there was an image that God would use over and over again. He would call them to this land of promise, and he would describe it in a specific way. Look how he calls it in Ezekiel. He says, on that day, I swore to them I'd bring them out of the land of Egypt, into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey. Been this glorious land that I have for them. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. If you study that phrase, milk and honey, and how many times God says that to the children of Israel over all those years. Because it gave them this vision, oh man, I can see that land. Oh man, I can taste the milk. Oh man, it's going to have sweet honey. It's this vision that moved them forward. Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. I love one day when he's, he's just talking to this, this band of disciples, and, and they're still this, this kind of motley crew. They haven't figured it all out. But Peter, through the revelation of God, declares who Jesus is. And, and then in that moment, Jesus, in Matthew 16, this is vision here, guys. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice he's giving him this graphic image. Man, Peter, this is the rock. This is the rock of the truth. I'm going to build my church on this rock. And guess what? The gates of hell, the fortresses of hell, they're not going to stand against what I'm doing here. Man, you feel that vision? See, that's what it provides. Look at what vision brings for you. It brings direction and clarity. The children of Israel, they know where they're going. Peter and the disciples go, okay, this is what he's doing. This is what he's about. And so when we have direction and clarity, when we have vision in our home, it helps everybody go, okay, I know what the next step is. I know why we're doing what we're doing. It, it brings energy. Vision brings energy more than anything else. Uh, it, it's funny, even as I read that Matthew 16 passage, where Jesus is declaring what his church is about. That is a 2,000-year-old statement, and yet I'm telling you, that energizes me today. When I think about Jesus building his church, when I think about the gates of hell not being able to stand against it, it gives me energy in times like this. It gives me energy that hell can't stand against it. Nothing, none of these structures can stand against it. COVID can't stand against it. It's his church. You know why I get excited about that? Because the image Jesus gives me in that. Do you feel that energy? Uh, third thing it provides, and, and this is such an important thing, it brings unity. It will bring unity to your home. It'll bring unity to you as a couple. Oftentimes, families drift because they don't have a united image. They don't have a vision that they're going for together. And it doesn't take much. I mean, you take a husband and a wife, and there they are side by side. If his vision is kind of three degrees this way, and her vision is three degrees this way, what happens over time? As he's pursuing that, as she pursues this, they look up and they're far apart. And, and it can happen even on things that we think we're agreeing about. Take a husband and wife. And they get married and they're starting life together. And they would say together, man, one of our core things that we want, it's family. It's all about family. We're both committed to the family. But here's his vision of family. See, he grew up without money. He grew up without a lot. 
And so in his mind, I've got to work harder. I've got to provide more. I've got to give my family what I didn't have. And so he's working all the time. But her vision of family is that she grew up with a dad who was always gone. And so in her heart, when she says family, it's going to be time together. It's going to be shared memories. It's going to be what we do around the house. And they both look up chasing this. And she looks at him and says, don't you care about the family? And he says, I'm doing this for the family. Don't you care what I sacrifice for the family? See, they're using the same words, maybe even the same values, but they had a different vision. And, and when you have separate visions, you suddenly find yourself divided in that. That's why it's so important when there's more than one person in a household that you get clarity on that. Clarity with your kids. What is it we're going for? A lot of empty nesters struggle with this because they realize so much of the vision of their life was around the kids. And now suddenly the kids are gone. And they look up and they go, we, we need a new vision for where we're going. See, it, it's so important because it brings so much life and energy and momentum. So how do we develop vision? How, how do you do this? And, and, and here's what I would say. Sometimes we think it's just going to come to us in the middle of the night or this glorious thing. Really, it's an exercise of working through. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Stop first and think through different time frames. So when you're thinking about vision, I think it's always healthy to kind of think in different time frames. So you might go, what's the ideal picture for us, me individually, or us as a couple or as a family, five to ten years out? Man, what would I love to see? What does it look like then? And then you come a little closer, what would we look like one year out? And then I think, especially in this time of crisis, maybe come even close enough that you go, what would I envision by the end of summer? Now, right now, my vision is I could just leave my house and go get a haircut and maybe stop by Pete's and have some coffee. That is the glorious vision to me. But see, in all this, here's what it does. It helps me push it out beyond just what's tomorrow or next week. And so you think through it in each of these levels. And as you do that, then, the second thing that you do, if you look in the next slide, think through categories of your life. Think through categories of your life. Now, you always want to put it through the grid of God's kingdom in Scripture. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then notice what he says, all these things will be added unto you. Everything you want in life, you always want it to go through the grid of his kingdom first. And so when I think about the categories, if you look at some of the categories that you want to think through, you always want to think through it spiritually first. What's my spiritual vision for my life? How do I want to grow? How do I want to be more like Jesus? I remember when I was about 20 years old, I had a mentor who challenged me. He took me to 1 Timothy 3, and, and I opened the passage, and it was a list of qualifications for an elder in the church. And I looked at it, and I go, hey, I'm 20 years old. And he said, yeah, this should be your list now. You should start praying through this now. See, here's what he was doing. He's giving me spiritual vision. That, yeah, that's what I want to pursue. That's what I want to go after. What about you? Do you think about it in that way? Do you have a picture of who you could be in Christ? Think about your family and friends. What does it look like? By the end of summer, what do we look like? A year from now, what would we look like? Who are the people that are going to be in your life? Who are the friends that are there? Here's what I've found. If you don't have friends in that vision, in that picture, they actually won't be in your life. You won't make time for them. 
Career and finances. Maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you're not in the job you want to be. Maybe you need a job right now, and it scares you. And, and it's easy in this category, especially right now, to think I've got to wait till things change before I start developing vision. I would challenge you, this is the best time to be thinking through your vision. If you're going to get a new job, when you want it to be the one that God's called you to, that you've dreamed about, if you're struggling with finances, wouldn't this be the best time to step back and go, how do we get this in order and dream about it together? Your children, what's your vision for each of them? And as they grow, you partner with them and help them frame it. Do they have a vision for life? And I put this last category, what are your dreams? You know, when you were a kid, you dreamed all the time. You thought about these great things you could do. Somewhere along the way, we let life just kind of beat them out of us. And now, some of those dreams may have been the foolishness of childhood. But I'm telling you, I think a lot of dreams go by the wayside. Because we never have the courage to put them in our vision. To ask God about it. Now, as you do that, and that picture starts to come into focus, here's one challenge I would always say. Look where Jesus is in it. Here's what I mean in that. Think of a photo of a group of people. And in that group, you can kind of tell who's important in a photo, can't you? Because usually the most important people, they're right there in the center. It's framed around them. And so as you're thinking about that photo, that picture of your future, of your life, of your family, is Jesus in it? Is he centered in it? Is he kind of maybe on the side or we photoshopped him in later? Oh yeah, I should add Jesus, spiritual life. See, that's why it's so important as you're thinking about your vision, you're thinking about your life, you focus on Jesus. You know, last week when we talked about the repair, the things that we needed to get rid of, we looked at Hebrews 12. Look back at that passage. He says, since we're surrounded by these witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's run this race with endurance that's set before us. Now, as we're running the race, that's what we had to get rid of. As we run, look where our focus is, looking to Jesus who's the founder and perfecter of our faith. It all starts and is perfected by him. And look what he did, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't it interesting what we're called to do, Jesus did? Jesus, as he endured the cross, as he went the race he was uniquely called to run, what did he do? He, he for the joy set before him, He focused on where he was going, the eternity ahead, what it would mean for us as he endured. And I just would encourage you, as you think about that ideal picture, as you think about what God's called you to do, as you start shaping that together, man, you always want to ask yourself, where's Jesus in that picture? And am I keeping him focused? Am I focused on him in this time? You know, I was reading about uh, snow skiers daredevil snow skiers who who like to go down fresh snow through the woods. They'll pick a a patch in the middle of trees. It's really dangerous to do. Tim Etchell with Outside Magazine, he said, here's the key. When when you're skiing like that, more than ever, you have to look where you want to go. And you can't look at the trees. He says, never look at the trees. I I love the line he put. He says, don't look at what you don't want to hit. In other words, you better be looking where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. 
And I would encourage you during this time, as we talk about vision, and specifically about Christ in it and where we're focusing, man, I think a lot of you, you're staring at trees all the time. You're staring at the trees of the latest numbers, staring at the trees of this, trees of that, tree of that. And, and we wonder why we keep running into trouble all the time. We wonder why we're anxious all the time. We wonder why we, we can't ever seem to get ahead. Man, focus on Jesus, guys. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Focus on what he's placed in your heart. Focus on what he's given your home. Focus on what he's placed in front of you. And start to shape it out in a way that you go, man, that's a kind of picture that gives me energy. Energy. That makes me excited. See, that's what vision does for us. And then with vision, let me add one more category because they go hand in hand. And it's really important. As you start shaping that picture, you then want to have real clarity. What are our values? What are my values? And if you look at it, when I say values, these are the principles that define and shape the culture of our home. These are the things that are always going to be true. These are the things that we know with that. And so as you look at values and you look at that together, as you go to the next slide with it, look at this, this frame that's here. Will Mancini has a great image that he says, this is how the two work together. Vision is the picture inside the frame. This is what you see. This is where you're headed. This is that mountain you want to climb. Values are the frame itself. They stay static. They're solid. They'll stay there. And so how do we develop these kind of values? How, how do you move forward in that? What are some of the categories that you'd want? And I just grab values of different families I know. Families that have written them out, some, some have defined them. Some people, they value generosity. So they go, yeah, we want to be a generous family. We want to be the kind of people that give. Some people would say, man, the Bible is at the core of our values. Learning it, living it, knowing it. Some, it's character values like kindness or honesty. Some have declared, we're a family that learns. We're always reading. We're always learning something new. We take a new class together. I know one family, they would say a core value for us is adventure. We're always on an adventure. And we look for ways to do that together. Or fun and laughter. Uh, they don't all have to be serious, by the way. It's your family. And your family and your life and who you are, it's unique to you. But they go, man, we value laughter in this house. And we fill our home with it. Family time. And we really value being together as families or, or friends. Or so, I, I could come up with a huge list out of this. Here's the key. You need to start thinking about it. What are the values that mark your home, that mark your life and your family? Now, as you do that, I want you to think with that. You need to pray and think about about four or five values that you want to define your home. So pray and think about four or five of them. Then you go, but Tim, I love that whole list. I want all of them. I can think of 25 values. Here's the reality. If all you have is this huge list of all the things you'd want to be, they're not really your values. Your values should shape who you are, but also shape who you're not. And so I, I really would not go above three, four, five at most with that. As you do that, the second thing, determine what is real and what is ideal. Whenever we do an exercise like this, we get very idealistic. You know, years ago when I worked at the Leadership Center in Dallas Seminary, we, we had this exercise where we'd have the seminary students list your top 10 values in life. 
And they had a week to do so, and they'd go through it. And you can imagine seminarians want to impress with it. Oh, my value, value of the Bible, value of all these spiritual values with that. And so they'd turn in the list of their top 10 values. And then we'd give them the list back, and we'd go, okay, now, what you've got to do for each of these 10 is verify how that value showed up in your life last week, where you spent time doing that, where you actually put that in action. And, and if you can't verify it with your calendar, with your money, with something specific, th then here's what you need to do. The ones you verify, you put an R next to because that's a real value in your life. The ones that maybe you wish were values you aspire to, they're actually just ideal values. They may not be really showing up in your life. Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with aspiration. Nothing wrong with saying, man, we want this to be true. But, but if you create a whole list of things, oh, I wish that was true about me, and they're not really your values, this is of no help to you. And you'll live under a cloud all the time of what you're wishing you would be. Instead of really embracing who you are and what you value. Third thing I'd, I'd warn you as well, be honest about the shadow values. Be honest about the shadow values. Here's what I mean. These are the hidden values that maybe are there that nobody likes to admit. Values that we're giving our kids. I'd say a shadow value in our culture, especially here in the Bay Area, is success. I mean, you have to succeed. You have to make great grades. You have to be at the top. You have to be excelling and ahead and getting the right school and the right next step with it and live out the American dream. And, and whether we say that out loud or not, our kids are picking up on it. There's a shadow value of money. Money's our security. And if we don't have money, we're insecure. And if we do have money, we feel secure. And sometimes that shadow value is transmitted without ever saying those words. I think of a shadow value as individualized entertainment. I've looked at it during this time. I mean, as a family, we value family time together. We value being entertained together or watching a movie. It's interesting to me, though, now that everybody has devices and everybody has their own preferences, instead of coming together and sharing something together as a connected family, it's so easy for everybody to go, I'm going to go get my individual entertainment, and I value that more. And I look at that, and I go, that's a shadow value I don't like. We need to address it. We need to recognize it. It, it can even be good things. I think of something like safety. I think safety is a shadow value that a lot of people maybe would not claim that as one of their values, but it's become a core value in all of our culture. As we wrestle with this virus especially, it's safety at all costs. And as I look at that, I certainly want to be safe, but I think I don't want it as a value, certainly not for my kids. Because safety can be so limiting in every way and you can become a life of fear in it. You know, we wrestled with it this last week. My son, Kent, went surfing, and as he was surfing, uh, a surfer down the beach was attacked by the shark, and actually, it was a young man who was killed, 26-year-old young man, tragic, follower of Christ. Uh, we didn't know him. We just read about him later, but I'm just telling you as a parent, when your son calls and says, hey, there was a shark attack on the beach right where we were. And as he came home and we're talking about it, I mean, there's a part of you that wants to pull back in safety and say, well, you're just not surfing. That's over. And I think mom especially, she's feeling that, whoa, man, are we comfortable with them surfing? Now, the rational part of me, I immediately, as I'm thinking about it, going, well, you know, his odds actually improved. The chance of him being near a shark attack again went way down. 
I'm learning, though. I didn't say that out loud in that moment. That's not helpful with it. But as we look at it, and as we talked about it, and we prayed about it, man, it would be so easy to go, you know, we're going to be safe at all costs. But we don't have the value. We want to be wise at all costs. I never want my children, or I never want to be foolish. We want to be wise in this season. But some of those values that we can hold on to that we don't even realize are there that are governing our lives and our homes, you have to address them. And as you look at all those, the fourth thing I would say is talk about your values as a family on a regular basis. Talk about why you believe what you believe. Talk about why you hold to what you hold. Ask your kids how you're doing. Are we living these out or not? They'll be honest with you. Ask how we could. And I'm telling you, when those kids leave one day, because they all do, when they're going off to school and they're going on in life, man, one of the few things they're going to carry out of that house are the values you placed in them. That's why these two hand in hand, if you go back to that picture frame again, see, the picture, the vision, it probably will change over time. As you grow, you're going to climb new mountains. But the values are set in that. And as you do this, this vision and value hand in hand, as you go through this together, let me just close with the final part of it. And it's pretty simple. It's the final key thing that you have to do. You have to have a plan of action. How are you going to do this? And I just say on that, write some clear, measurable steps for putting it into action. Man, if you want to get your finances in control, what are the steps you're going to do? If you have a vision of a home one day or a vacation, how are we going to get there? If we have a vision for family mem memories, if we, if we have values that we've placed in that, what are some of the steps that we're going to do? Clear, measurable steps of actually doing it. They can be related to your health, to your finances, your life. Just, just get a plan. Now, as I say that, number two, keep it simple and doable. Some of you, as soon as I say this, you're salivating. You can't wait to do this. You'll have spreadsheets. You'll have all these papers. Your family actually is dreading this because they know what's coming. Here comes the new family plan and all that. Don't do it to them because here's the reality. They won't keep it, and you probably won't either. Just keep it simple. Keep it doable. Make it something you can put into action. And as you do that, Commit your plans to God in prayer. Commit it to God. Give it to him. It's so important. I love how Proverbs puts it. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I mean, if you want it to go from a plan to an establishment, give it to God. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You commit those to God. And then you come back together as a family and you want to review regularly and revise as needed. On a regular basis, you review, man, are we living these things out? And then here's the key. You're not God. You're not omniscient. You're not going to come up with a perfect plan. And it's okay to revise it. It's okay to come to a point and go, you know what? That value really isn't awesome. And, and you stop trying to live like that family over there. We're not going to be the family that listens to classical music every night and sits around and we're all reading poetry out loud. That's not us. I'm not going to be that dad that, man, I got a woodworking shop and I teach my kids how to make rocking chairs out in the garage with it. I, I, that's not me. And, and you know, one of the most freeing things in life is when you do recognize, man, this is who God's made us to be. This is who I am. And you really start narrowing in 
and you give yourself the freedom to revise, that's not me. This is who I am. And as you do that, the last thing I'd say is just hold loosely and humbly as God brings unforeseen changes. Man, in all this, we got to be humble before him and, and hold it loosely. Uh, James puts it so well. We're living this right now. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, this whole process, you're doing it with God. You're seeking his kingdom. You're presenting him your plans. And when he brings something along that no one saw, like a pandemic, you release it to him and you trust him. But you don't despair because you know God's in control and you know you have a future and a hope. You know, guys, what I'm telling you in this passage what I'm telling you about this, it's what you see God do through the whole Bible. He's a God of vision. He's a God who, who his values shape the culture of our world. He's a God with a distinct plan. You know, it's interesting to me, the book of Revelation ends with vision. A vision of what's to come. The whole book is visions of what's to come. And at the very end of it, it's this picture of our ideal future, of what he's planned for us. I love the verses in it in Revelation when it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this. Look, look at this. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Man, you want a vision. You, you want a crystal clear picture. When we get to be in the presence of God, and he wipes away every tear, and he wipes away all the pain, and there will be no more death, and there will be no more mourning, and we are with him home. Man, you feel the vision of that? You know why you feel that? Because it's the ideal future of every human heart. Everybody wants that. And in that vision, you know what that place is going to be like? It'll be shaped by the values of who God is. That's all the values of heaven are, are his character. And so his character is he is love. So love will be the value of heaven. He's holy. Everything will be pure. He's right. He's good. He's just. He's powerful. All of those things will frame our culture for all eternity. See, he's given us a vision shaped by his values. And you know what I love? He came up with a plan that we get to experience it. We're not left out. Even though we're sinful, even though we rebelled, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have. You know what they have? That life he described, everlasting life. Guys, I don't know what your vision for life is, 
But if it doesn't include this vision from God, if it doesn't include the vision of that preferred future that your heart longs for, if it doesn't include a vision where you can live in the values of his character, if it doesn't include the specific plan where you receive that gift from Christ, there is no vision in life that compares with that one. And so I would just challenge you today. Take some time. Work through this. What I'm laying out for you, I think, is so important for every person and for every home. But don't miss God's vision for you and his plan of salvation that he gives through Christ alone. Will you pray with me? Father, I do thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for eternity. I thank you for a, a clear vision that I long for today. And I have absolute assurance that you will welcome me there, not because of me, but because of Christ. Lord, I pray for homes that have lost vision. Would you use this as a stimulus? Lord, I pray for those who, who maybe they didn't, never thought about their values. Lord, help them to find them. Lord, I pray that we could develop the kind of plans that we would hold loosely, but we would be aggressive about. And most of all, Lord, I pray for any who have never embraced your plan of salvation, that today you would change the vision for their life and eternity because they trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.